bi-monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. Today, our studio is full. Julie Bean, ATN's Executive Director, and Ginger Healy, ATN's Parenting Program Director, are joined by Tanisha Thomas and Emily Meeks of Focused Minds Group, a consultancy in Atlanta that works with schools on diversity and equity, trauma-informed strategies, and school climate and culture. Today, the group will be discussing how to push past our own perspectives to see people with a different lens. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Julie Beam. And I'm Ginger Healy. And today we have a first. This is our first ever podcast where we have not just one special guest, but two. Welcome, Emily and Tanisha. Hi. We're going to do a deep dive into a very important topic around the intersection between being trauma-informed and doing that work and addressing our own cultural awareness and biases that we may have. Before we get into that meaty topic, though, Ginger, could you give us a quick introduction of the amazing women who are with us today? Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to do that. Emily Meeks has served as an educator, content specialist, and facilitator for over 11 years. Emily has facilitated various professional learning workshops on the school and district level during her career and as a public educator. She was awarded the Student Improvement Grant and the Race to the Top Grant for consistently showing student growth and received her Bachelor's of Arts in English from the University of West Georgia. She also has a Master's of Education in Adult Education from Strayer University. Emily and Tanisha created the Focused Minds Education Group. They focus on diversity and equity, instructional technology, professional development, expressive writing therapy, trauma-sensitive schools, community engagement, school climate and culture, and school effectiveness and turnaround. Now, Tanisha Thomas, she has over 18 years of experience in education as a teacher, leader, and instructional coach. She's a former education curriculum specialist for the Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice, and she also served previously as a ninth grade academy coordinator, smaller learning communities, instructional coach, and enhanced freshman academy coach for Atlanta school districts. She has designed and facilitated various professional development workshops at the district and state levels in many states. She received her Bachelor's of Arts in English from Tennessee State University and a Master of Science in Adult Education from Troy University. And she also serves on the Executive Board for the Attachment and Trauma Network. Hey, you listeners out there, these women, not only are they certified educators, they are change agents, support specialists, professional learning facilitators, expressive writing coaches. They are trauma-informed. They are humanitarians. And we really are honored and lucky to know them and be surrounded by them and have them with us on our episode today. So welcome, ladies. Well, thank Thank you. you That was such an awesome introduction. Thank you for having us. Yes, we really appreciate the opportunity having us here today. I think the best place to start is for you to tell us a little bit about your consulting practice and specifically around your four R's of equitable instruction, because I think that'll get this conversation going. All right. So as you guys mentioned, Focus Minds Education Group is headquartered here in Atlanta, Georgia. We're committed to creating trauma-responsive and compassionate 
content learning environments where all children are successful and safe and feel nurtured. As veteran educators, you know, we understand the need to support the academic and emotional needs of students. And so collectively, as you stated, we've witnessed how traumatic events can affect students and their families. But more specifically, so when we say our four R's, that is the four R's of equitable instruction to include building relationships, providing culturally relevant content, ensuring learning environments are trauma responsive, and creating real opportunities for student voice and agency to establish community. Right, and with all of these components that Nisha's talking about, we're using those to create environments where students can feel safe and nurtured. Ultimately, that's the goal, right? We want to build environments and have spaces where students can share with each other and have conversations without feeling some type of way about the conversation. So we just want to make sure educators are creating those spaces. I love that. I love particularly the clever play on words because, you know, we all know reading, writing, arithmetic, right? So now you've (laughs) added relationship, relevant, responsive, and real. Real is huge in our book, the authentic work that needs to be done. You explained the four R's or you mentioned them, but can you talk about how they work together? And I guess we're especially interested because we think the listeners are going to be interested in how trauma-informed works instead of these other aspects too. So we consider the power of literacy paired with trauma-informed to use literacy to build skills and heal. Regardless of the curriculum, there are lessons and stories. So we know that SAMHSA considers trauma the events, experiences, and effects. That's the baseline for any story. So as former English teachers, we've always considered ourselves somewhat the bedrock and the nucleus of the school's instructional program. So what better way to provide a platform to share information about trauma with looking at the curriculum. What you're saying is just how to use the curriculum and unpacking those standards by choosing text that may identify a tough topic, right? And so every class is supposed to have an anchor text. And we talk about literacy across the curriculum as well. That's deliberate planning and being intentional with that time and choosing text and activities that essentially speak to the students in your classroom and in that environment. Know who's in your room, right? Mm-hmm. Build the relationship with them. And we talk about how to do different things to build relationships. And that could just be something from the beginning of the school year, having that student questionnaire. And we're not talking about just, you know, maybe the basic questions, but really the question that we get to um, for students is, what is it that you want me to know about you that I'm not even asking? What are you doing? How do you respond to challenging situations? You know, that's that trauma piece, right? So if I give you something that's challenging and you're having difficulty, how do you often respond to that? And getting students to share with you how they respond to stress, how they respond to challenges can kind of give the teacher some insight and how to respond to them and what to do in that moment. So 
when we come to the other piece also for example talking about relevance we touched on a little bit as well making sure it's culturally relevant again that's the kind of questions ask students you know what do you do during holidays do you gather with your family you know what are some of those rituals and routines that you have and again that kind of gives the teacher some insight into the types of learning environment they can create and the types of text they can pull as well. That's just super important to us as far as putting that literacy piece together. Yeah, I love all of that. And I love what Tanisha said about teachers kind of being that bedrock and that nucleus. That's such powerful image to me, especially as we were talking about literacy and, and literature, connecting that literature piece because you know, the imagery that's involved in that. But Emily, I've heard you before talk about pushing past your own perspectives. And I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that a little bit. How do you define bias and how do we push past any negative perceptions that we might have? Um, I think the main thing you want to do to push past your perspectives is get real with yourself. And that's to do the real work of identifying and and realizing who you are, right? We all have our own different experiences. And what we need to understand, even as educators, is bringing those experiences into the classroom in order for us to create a more equitable environment. We have to make sure that we identify what those perspectives and biases are that we have within ourselves, right? And one of the ways that we talk about doing that is doing your own work. Choosing love and choosing literacy is a choice. And the choice is to make sure that as educators, you are educating yourselves. You're going to book clubs. You're finding books and texts that you know, you may not normally read or, you know, finding the information and educating yourselves on different ways to connect. And that is personal work. And so in order to push past your perspectives, again, like I said, you just really have to take a hard look at your own personal experiences and understand that, you know, right now we're in a time where we all experience some type of collective trauma. With that collective trauma, we now have a connection with each other. And how do we use that connection, right, to push past some of those perspectives or ideas that we had about others? Because now we have a shared experience. And I just think that's super important. I think that's super powerful and well said. That collective trauma gives us the connectivity, the connection that we can start to build that relationship off of. And I know prior to hitting the record button, we we spent a good long time today talking with you guys about so many of these topics and so many of the ways that we've dealt with them coming from different perspectives. I love your perspective that this is individual work and that we all have to do it as individuals. And yet, Part of what you all do is bring this into schools and classrooms. So can you talk to us a little bit about what this perspective shifting, this bias shifting looks like when you do bring it into schools? How do you find schools these days in terms of are they motivated to do this work and what are they Mm -hmm. asking of you? Well, I'll take that one, Julie. I feel as if that internal piece Personally, I had to do the work in order to complete my work. And I shared this story 
with how and why we started Focus Minds is because the two of us went through a series of our own traumas and there was actually little to no support outside of the EAP for teachers. And I had to figure out what to do because the expectation is that the students would perform, the students would, you know, graduate. It wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. However, there were things that I was struggling with until it was actually addressed and me being able to figure out how I can cope with that particular situation that I was able to then model that for my students. Mm -hmm. I was then able to now, if this has happened to me, something as simple as, not so much as simple, but death and grief. How can I use this situation to share what I'm feeling and going through. And I was very transparent with a group of American literature students every day. If I wasn't feeling my best because I'd had a moment in the car prior to coming in, I literally told them that that day Mm -hmm. and they became my support. But at the same time, they'll say, well, Ms. Thomas, you remember when we read this poem? And it had this particular line and tried to support us through that. So then we realized that we could really share our stories. You're getting at the heart of the reason that you do the work and the reason that you think that literature is so powerful because the literature Mm -hmm. itself has healing components and your Mm -hmm. students were reflecting that back to you. That's what I'm hearing you say. That's powerful stuff. And as somebody who trained myself as an English teacher, you know, it makes my heart sing because I'm thinking, of course, English teachers are the bedrock of this because here the storytelling <laughs> mm-hmm. is can storytelling. Yeah, it can be yep. trauma informed and it can yes. promote relationship and healing, is what you're saying. And I think too, one of the things that I learned going back to the four R's about being real is certain times we would read things in class and I would actually connect it to my own personal life and personal stories. And I would share those with students. You know, some people find it hard to be vulnerable with your students, but ultimately once you get into that space where you can be vulnerable with them and you can openly share with them, and I'm not talking about, you know, some of the other tough stuff, but just letting them know that, hey, certain things that you're going through or have been through, I've also been through that. When you can instantly make that connection, it breaks down some of those barriers and walls with those students. And it also helps, you know, to see that some of those biases and perspectives that you have, you may realize some of those kids in your class may now have a different perspective about you and who you are. So Mm -hmm. that is the real important work that we have to do because, you know, you want your kids to feel like, you know, you're a partner with them. And that's something that we talk about as well, like moving that student teacher relationship to a partnership, you know, letting them know we're in this together. This is a collective collaborative effort and I can learn something from you, right? We learn a lot from kids and what they're going through. And that's why I think it's super important that at the very beginning, you establish a rapport with them and find out who they actually are and hear some of their stories, giving them opportunities to share their voice in class. 
through different exercises and writing is one of the main things that we focus on. You know, getting back to the heart of journaling and narrative writing, making sure that these exercises aren't always punitive Mm -hmm. as well. You know, you want to make sure you're making writing an opportunity to share and therapeutic in a sense, rather than making it a punitive piece of, well, you do this to get a grade. No, sometimes writing needs to be reflective and you need to be able to allow students to have that time to get those thoughts and ideas out. Even if it's just five or 10 minutes before or after class, give them that opportunity to get their brains going. You'll see those outcomes change and their engagement and willingness to engage with you change. Oh, those are such great examples of just, you know, creating safety that felt safety in the classroom and focusing on the connection. You know, I love when you talk about being vulnerable because it just creates that safe space, you know, for kids to heal. It's so much bigger than just, you know, academics and instruction and all of that. It's just, Mm -hmm. I'm just so impressed by it all. I want to ask you guys what you're seeing. You know, you're both really just going directly into the schools. What are you seeing as really pressing issues right now in the schools where you're working? I see the teachers being overwhelmed. You know, they've been asked to do more than anyone could ever imagine. They've had experiences that no one else has had being able to go into this classroom, trying to teach virtually and teach in person. And, you know, just to be even more transparent and talking to my own son's teachers recently and seeing some of that frustration, having to have the video screen going while you're trying to have your normal in-person class and then have your virtual students. How do you support them? Because kids are going to have questions. And so teachers are having a difficult time building some of those relationships with Mm -hmm. those virtual students because they're not in person, but then how do you navigate that, right? How do you still engage them if they aren't able to physically be in that learning space? And so I think the challenge here that teachers are having is just that, you know, being able to create environments where everyone is included and feels included in that learning environment, Mm -hmm. whether you are physically there or not. And so on the parent end of that, what you can do is, you know, try to make sure that you're engaging with your student, making sure that you're talking to your student about the work that's going on and how can you further support that because Mm -hmm. the teachers are having a difficult time. So those next steps and actions would be to, like Vendor is saying, you know, mm-hmm. create those safe spaces. What are your safe actions that you can do that will allow both the press and release for not just the students, but for yourselves as well? And create that and make a plan of how you're going to implement that throughout the school day as you're interacting with your kids, as you're interacting with your colleagues, with leadership, with your parents. Mm-hmm. It becomes the language and the normal behavior if everyone decides to model. Yeah, I think that's the key, modeling. That's absolutely the key. You know, you mentioned the leadership, right? You're not just talking about the teachers in the classroom and the kids. You're talking about 
everybody here. Right, everybody. Right. And these are supporting behaviors that everyone should have just in case someone is going through a tough time that we may not be aware about. So once you do enhance your awareness, now what identify your current efforts of what you're doing to try to eliminate the re-traumatization of yourself, your colleague, the students, the parents, just increase your capacity Mm -hmm. in order to be a better teacher and support that student's growth. I know that you agree with us that this work has to be done at that leadership level too. The teachers are overwhelmed and nobody's really surprised about that if we stop long enough to think about everything that they've been through in the last Mm -hmm. few school years. What are you seeing from leadership and what obstacles are you seeing from some leadership perhaps that we need to be aware of in addressing this shift of perspectives that we all need to take? Are you seeing good examples that you can give us or maybe some challenges that you can give us there? It's a great question. I think that again, because we're talking about some of the individual work is depending on what leadership now deems to be relevant right? Mm -hmm. Some of them are going into this work, wanting to talk about a lot of the anti-racist or anti-bias education. And what we see is that while some people may want to have that particular conversation, we want to make sure that we understand or help leaders to understand that we can't really talk about those biases without really talking about the other human factor, right? Because trauma-informed and bias go together because it's based in and rooted in our experiences. Trauma is rooted in our experiences and some of these ideas are rooted in our own personal experiences. And so our perspectives then are different and growing up and being in environments, learning environments where everyone didn't look like us and we had access to a diverse population and people and situations that allowed us to get to this place where we can share with leaders, you know, instead of focusing on the bias or the negative, Mm -hmm. you may want to focus on how to help build those relationships in your building, building relationships with your teachers, helping the teachers to build relationships with their kids and having those conversations. So that's some of the challenges that a lot of the leadership doesn't really know where to start. They don't know where to start. They know they want to have a conversation, but they don't really know where to start that conversation. And so some of the challenge for us is the fact that while we may not be talking about anti-racism or anti-bias, we want to help them to understand that everyone needs a shift in their pushing past their own personal perspectives, right? And so That's really the main challenge we've had. Now, the great part about that is after having a conversation with us and understanding that connection and how everything is interconnected, you know, of course, we have clients that move forward, but some people at this juncture and where we are currently haven't quite made that connection. And that's the work that me and Tanisha are on a mission to make sure that we do is to make the connection between trauma-informed practices and just having culturally relevant teaching and learning experiences. That's amazing and powerful and definitely something that we support at the Attachment and Trauma Network because it speaks to the knowledge that we have that healing is all about relationships. And so Mm -hmm. healing of whatever your 
negative perspectives are has got to be embedded in that relational connected work. How we reach leaders in that, I have a firm belief they're going to come around to all of our way of thinking sooner or later, but (laughs) sooner would be best, right? Sooner would be best. (laughs) Because working in that environment is a relief to teachers and therefore a relief Mm -hmm. to students, right? And I think they just need to feel safe and understand that, you know, a leader's responsibility is to also create that safe environment, that mm-hmm. safe space where educators feel safe and nurtured, right? And that's a part of what we also have in our book too, is that we have something in there so they can take a look at that. There's a survey of sorts where we're asking questions about for you to reflect and refocus about your learning space and your workplace rather is it happy? Is it a happy workplace? Is it highlighting the awareness, prevention, and intervention of mental health and social emotional learning? Like, how are you connecting that? Where are you doing the work and helping the teachers do the work on themselves to get to that place first? Because we know that's where it starts. It starts with Mm -hmm. us as an adult and being able to model that. How do you model that being resilient? That's going back to sharing your stories vulnerable and sharing that, you know what, I went through this and this is where I am. And this is what I did to get to that place. So you have to come back to the humanity part and just sharing and caring. And I know that I tell my kids this and we all grew up on this, but at the basis of it all, we learned at a very young age to treat other people, how we want us to be treated. And I just stand on that, you know, like that has always been who I am. I don't care who you are, but I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated and respected. That's just important, a life skill. I want to make sure I give both of you time if we haven't yet covered any topic as far as, you know, what resources you suggest, especially on how to better educate ourselves, you know, or our work environments. Any thoughts we haven't covered yet? The first resource would be self-love. Very huge, but once educators are able to become more empathetic Mm -hmm. that leads them to become more equitable to become more effective and empowering in what they are doing so again in order for us to do the work we have to work on ourselves so that self-love that adult sel component finding resources and opportunities for that de-escalation and self-regulation for adults. Like I would say, Emily was my sounding board from my personal experiences. It was music and I was on the way to work and would have a moment and still had to go in and look at my 36 spaces Mm -hmm. in my classroom. I needed to press play before I even got out the car and listen to this music just so that I can be reassured that I can get through this day. And I would have the same song on play every day. And Emily would get off the phone like, okay, I'm getting off the phone now. Just listen to your music. So that definitely would help and support that first resource is self-love is what I'm. Choose love every day. That's our motto. Kind of just choose love. Yep, hashtag choose love. Totally agree. The compassion has to start with yourself. You can't give the students something you don't have. Exactly. I would even go as far as to share our newest tool that we have released. Oh yeah. We got to talk about the baby that was going to say, I mean, you know, we we got to witness the delivery here. So please introduce us to your baby. 
So is your school an asset is in title of our workbook and it is an interactive workbook to implementing school mental health awareness and equitable instruction. And in this workbook, it's about 60 pages of action. There are activities in here, lessons in here that educators can work through, even leaders, instructional coaches, various activities. It starts off with adult SEL, like we said, because that is the first piece is making sure that you are whole, making sure that you understand self-care is not selfish, right? You have to give that to yourself. The second part of the book is hard work is the hard work, where we talk about developing those safe and inclusive learning environments. And again, another reflective piece of sharing parts about your childhood and how you grew up and being able to look at that and see how that mimics or in relation to the students that you serve. So doing a little bit of work there, learning about mental health. And then we talk about some de-escalation tools in here, the model that we created. So is your school an asset is school climate, making sure that's positive, student voice and agency. We have a section here called do the right thing, which touches on talking about really pushing past your perspectives and making sure that we're always trying to do the right thing. Some visual literacy pieces in here. I mean, it's just full of really activities and actionable strategies that we've essentially modeled that educators can recreate on their own for their own lessons. And it all centers around who you are and how to create those changes by also looking within yourself and what that means of looking at your own perspective. So it's out here. We are so excited about it (laughs) and can't wait until everyone else has an opportunity to work through this workbook and, and we get some feedback on how it's able to impact your learning and impact your building because it's something that you can do individually as an educator or something that can be done and led by an instructional leader as well. Awesome. It sounds like an awesome resource. We will definitely make sure that it's listed in the show notes of this podcast so that our listeners can find it and find you and find Focus Minds. Ladies, it's been a really enlightening session. Don't you think, Ginger? Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate your authenticity and your vulnerability of sharing your stories with us today. This is why we all are doing this work. We're passionate about helping folks heal by being real by choosing love. We echo that and echo the need for us to do our own individual work in all of that. So thank you both for highlighting that with us today. Thank you so much for having us. We truly appreciate it. So join us next time listeners. But for now, we just want to echo what Emily and Tanisha's motto is, and that's choose love. Thanks everybody. This has been another episode of Regulated and Relational. Diane Carreri joins Ginger and Julie next time to talk about the reset process, trauma-informed behavior strategies. A special thanks to Joe Kramer for donating our music. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at www.attachedtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes will be available on our website and through anchor.fm. I'm Lorraine Schneider. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.